When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we take the pursuit of happiness from the abstract to the concrete. This week, we'll talk about why you should make introductions and explore the question of how to create more effective accountability for obligers. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, human nature, and the four tendencies. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister Elizabeth Kraft, who has so often graciously served as my experimental happiness guinea pig. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA. And yeah, Gretchen, sometimes I'm kicking and screaming, but I do try <laughs> to be a happiness guinea pig. Now, Elizabeth, quick update. We got a fun email from our listener, Susan, about our discussion in episode 189 about being tempted by the snacks in hotel mm. minibars. Um, she sent an article from the Times UK uh, where British journalist and author Satnam Sangara wrote, um, and he's so very British in his choice of words, I thought, in this piece about how he finds accountability. Yes, he said... How on earth does one resist hitting these in-room corner shops? I have so little discipline that this week I considered calling hotels in advance to remove the food. Fearing this might mark me out as peculiar, I settled instead on bringing along my own healthy snacks as a distraction, only to eat all the fruit in addition to the five-pound tube of Prinkles in the room. So it's time for a new strategy. When I'm next in a hotel, I'm going to have the bill sent to my mom's address. The fear of her outrage, if she sees that I've spent seven pounds on a crunchy chocolate bar, will surely be enough. <laughs> yeah, seven pounds is $9. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's I love this account. Use your mom as your accountability <laughs> partner. That's yeah, so, so She's always a good one. That's right. I love that. I love that suggestion. And Elizabeth, this week our Try This at Home tip is to make an introduction. 
this is a wonderful good deed, a manageable good deed that we can do for other people. Yes, the world runs on introductions. Gretch, I am proud to tell you that I introduced two people to their spouses. Wow. On like actual like blind date setup type things? No, in both cases, it was unintentional, I must oh. admit. But two people who I was very good friends with broke up, Bob and Nancy, and then mm. I introduced each of them, again, unintentionally to their spouses. Wow. And so they credit me with that. And it always makes me feel so good when I think, oh, you guys are together because I introduced you. This child exists in the world because I introduced you. Yeah. It's a good feeling. It's powerful. Well, you know what, I've, a side note, I've often thought that there should be a wedding tradition of somehow marking out the person at the wedding, if the, that person's there, who introduced to people mm, like they should get like yes. a little crown or like a little I don't know some kind of token <laughs> um, that's that, so fun yeah I think that would be fun now this make an introduction is a great example of some very well-known research about weak ties which is that mm. often when we make really excellent introductions or it comes from people who are weak ties to us not the strongest ties and the theory is because People who have strong ties to you, they know everything you, you know. They right. know all the same people you know. But if it's weak ties, then they're introducing you to people that you, or, or ideas or opportunities that are really kind of outside your natural reach. And so this is a place where you really could introduce somebody to somebody that they would never otherwise meet and date or someone that they might never otherwise meet and hire or whatever. And so that's a great example. Yeah, no, they always say um, when you're looking for a job, yeah. like your it's your best friend's not going to get you a job, but like your best friend's neighbor might get you yes. a job. Well, see, and I think this is why the try this at home to make an introduction is important to keep in mind because sure you're going to make an introduction for your best friend, but it might be like doing it for your best friend's neighbor is where you could really play a more useful mm -hmm. role. So I think this is a place to push yourself to do it, not just when you feel like, well, of course I'm going to do that, but on the edges when you're like, well, am I going to extend myself to do this? Like, oh, it's kind of a pain in the neck to like get someone's email address and sort of put myself out there. But it's like, it's when it's on the outer reaches of people's circles, that's often where the power is. And so if everybody would really force themselves to try to make introductions whenever they thought they could be helpful, we could really, really help each other out. And some people are just naturals at oh, this. Like yes. I work with um, a woman named Lori Zacks. She's been on Happier in Hollywood. Um, she's a producer and Lori just introduces people very naturally. It's just her personality. Yeah. She's always saying, oh, you need to meet this person and you need to have this person on your podcast. I'm gonna give them your email address. And it's mm -hmm. like, she connects so many people and it's such a great quality. Uh, it reminds me of the very famous New Yorker article that Malcolm Gladwell wrote called Six Degrees of Lois Weisberg. Yeah, some people are just natural. I have a friend, Kim Scott, who wrote Radical Candor and had the Radical Candor podcast. For some reason, the people that she introduced just stick. Like so many people in my life I somehow are connected to me through Kim and I don't know. And mm. we've all talked about it. We're like, what is it that Kim does that's different? What does Lori do that's different? Maybe it's just sheer magnitude. It's just doing it consistently over and over mm -hmm. that you just get a bigger. Uh, I do think one of the things that people who do this well are usually do is they ask if they can introduce you. People yes. sometimes will connect people and one of those people doesn't want to be connected. I think if you are making introductions, you have to say, 
I'd love to put you in touch with this person yes. or I'd love to make an e-introduction. Are you open to that? So if a person, for whatever reason, wants to say no, they don't feel like you've sort of exposed them in their email to somebody when they didn't want that. So it's something to be yes. aware of. Yeah. Yes, that's a great point. And I just did this, I'm happy to say. Oh, Gretchen. what'd you do? Well, an author, a young adult book author reached out to me and she really wanted an introduction to my friend, Melissa De La Cruz, uh. who's a big young adult author and who has a um, festival, a book festival every year. She said, I'd love to try to be a part of the festival. I know you're friends with Melissa. You know, could you put me in touch with her? And so I reached out to Melissa and asked, and Melissa said yes, and I introduced them. And um, I don't know what it will come of it, but I felt good that I actually followed through instead of just ignoring the email, which is yeah. what I am ashamed to say I often do because I feel so overwhelmed. But I said, let me take a few minutes and make this introduction. Well, it's one of those things when you're like, does this take a lot of time and energy? In a way, no, because like if you just actually looked at how many minutes on the clock it took, it didn't take that many. But it does take a lot of weird mental energy to kind of put yourself forward and to make that kind of social connection. So, And you are putting yourself on the line because yes. you're sort of endorsing someone. When you yeah. introduce two people, there's a sense that you're saying, this is a good person to know. I think this person is trustworthy. I think this person has something to offer. So it is sharing a bit of yourself. Yeah. And that's where the good comes from. I mean, do good, feel good. It makes you feel good. Like you say, you feel good when you've helped people in this way. But here's something I would say is don't be upset if you try to connect people and they don't follow up. Because I think sometimes people don't follow up for whatever reason, you know, and I think we never want to get in a situation where we're like, I'm going to volunteer to do something nice for someone and then mm. get super annoyed with them if for some reason they don't act the way you want. This is yes. something to do because you want to be helpful and put it out in the world. But like sometimes, you know, it's like people like, oh, you're moving to Chicago. My best friend from college lives in Chicago. Let me introduce you to and you you two would be great friends. And then that person doesn't follow up. It's like, don't get annoyed by that, you know, mm -hmm. because it's like you tried. Sometimes you put these things out in the world and it, they don't go the way you think. But um you just sort of have to do your best. Yeah, but sometimes you'll get a wedding out of it. So yeah. it's always <laughs> worth trying. It's always worth trying. Do good, feel good, make an introduction. Let us know if you tried this at home and how making an introduction worked out for you. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com or go to happiercast.com slash 194. This is episode 194 for everything related to this episode. All right, Gretchen, you are on a happiness hack streak. You've got another happiness hack you're very excited about coming up. But first, this break. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, his retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretsch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? 
Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth.com happier. That's StoryWorth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Gretchen, it's time for a happiness hack, and you've got one um, that will help with travel. Yes, I've been traveling a lot. I've been doing a lot of speaking lately, and I realized that I had kind of without quite articulating it, developed what I think is a very important happiness hack, and I've used it in the past, um, and now I want to share it, which is when you are traveling, have an emergency book in mind. And mm. what I mean by that is a book that if you all of a sudden find yourself without something to read on a plane or you know on the train or whatever you're doing, um, have a book in mind to choose. So what do you mean by an emergency book? So an emergency book, okay, so it's an emergency situation. You're like, oh my gosh, I need <laughs> reading material like desperately. So it needs to be a book in mind that you've identified, like the name and the author, and it's a book that would be widely available even in a very small commercial bookstore. Mm. So like the kind of bookstore that you'd find in an airport or in a big train station. Um, it's something that, has a re that you know is good. Mm. You know, lots of people have enjoyed it, and it's probably reasonably accessible. I think for, it's true for me, and I think it's true for most people. Traveling is not necessarily the best time to read something that's very dense or yes. like takes enormous amounts of concentration. You want something that's got a little bit of that page turner quality to it. And mm -hmm. ideally, it's in paperback so that it's cheaper and easier to carry. So something that has just come out maybe isn't as good an emergency book as a paperback. Yeah, this is such a good idea because I can't tell you how many times I've rushed into an airport bookstore, yeah. not had an emergency book. So therefore, just like pick something blindly yeah. and then not liked it and then sort of been stuck on the airplane yes. bored by my book. Well, see, this happened to me years ago, and I think that's why I developed this hack <laughs> for myself, which is I will deliberately hold back from reading or mm. buying a book that I otherwise want to read because I'm like, oh, that's such a good emergency book. What's your emergency book right now, Gretch? Okay. My emergency book is a book called A Man Called Uva by Frederick Backman. And yes, that is how you pronounce Uva. I looked it up. Um, because this is a book that many people have said, oh, you should read this book. It's like it's really a good read. And it's very common. Um, so that's my emergency book right now. Now, I would say it would be, even though it's still out in hardback, it would be Tana French's book, The Witch Elm, because Tana French is very reliable. But somebody gave me the book, so now I have it at mm. home. So I wouldn't want to buy it in a bookstore 
because I hate whenever I have to buy duplicates of something that I already own. But I will say that for many years, and this is such a good uh, emergency book that it's I will just throw it out there because it's probably in a lot of bookstores all the time, is Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove. That was a really mm. good emergency book. A good saga. Yeah. Now, we should point out, Gretch, sometimes you need to switch up your emergency book because if it's something that is very popular for a time, yeah. it may not stay on the bookshelf forever. So you kind of want to f- refresh the emergency book. Absolutely, because in, in fact, for like a year, my emergency book was Elizabeth Kostova's book, The Historian, um, which was like super popular about eight years ago, and it would have been everywhere. But now you don't really see that book. That's why Larry McMurtry book is like kind of like the emergency mm-hmm. emergency book, because that's a book yeah. that really has gone into that like ever, like it's in a classic. lot of places. Classic. It's kind of a classic airport bookstore. But I think it's really good because as you say, it's when you're rushing because you're like, oh my gosh, I had all this great time on the airplane or on the train to read and I blew it because I like randomly picked up this book that turned out not to be good. Whereas if I'd had this book in mind, I could have made a beeline for it, bought it and then had all this great reading time. Yeah, I need to pick one, Gretch. I don't have one. So if yeah. anyone um, has great suggestions <laughs> yeah. for an emergency book, send yeah. them to us. Yes, absolutely. And I like fiction on a plane. So fiction choices, please. I don't, unless it's a memoir, um, a juicy memoir. I, I, I want to read fiction on a plane or a train. Yeah. And Elizabeth, now it's time for a four tendencies tip, how I love to talk about the tendencies. Mm-hmm. And um, we got a question from a listener. Yes, this came from Rose. She said, I'm an RN getting a certification in health coaching and a question or two. So here is my question. Lately, I've tried starting a few accountability groups for different health habits, including sleep, food tracking, a walking group, and an all-women's group for pickup sports games. I've noticed a trend in almost every group, with the exception of the sports. There's initial interest with about 7 to 10 people participating and requesting to be part of the group. There's a huge fall off after the first week to about half the initial number. Subsequent weeks, it's maybe one to two people. The weird thing is that even though people stop participating in the group, when I run into them face to face, they'll bring up the group, thank me profusely for keeping them in the group and tell me how they will for sure try to make it to the next meeting, which of course they do not show up to. The only exception has been the soccer pickup game I organize. What do you make of this? What strategies do I do to keep people coming? So far, I have tried getting people to commit early in the week because I figured all the obligers would feel compelled to come after committing. Nope. Yeah, so Gretchen, I think this is such a common uh, occurrence. What would you say to Rose? Okay, I so many thoughts. So Rose, here, the, the clue for you is who comes. The people Mm. who come are the people who come to the sports games. So what is the difference between the sleep, the food tracking, and the walking group and the sports games? The sports games can only happen if people show up. That creates true accountability for obligers because they're like, if I say I'm going to come to the soccer game and I don't show, then maybe no one will be able to play. So I have to come because nobody can play without me. The thing about the sleep, the food tracking, and the walking, this is Mm. to benefit the obligers themselves. So you feel like you're creating outer accountability, but to these obligers, they're thinking, well, I'm really doing this for me. It doesn't mm. feel like some of them, a few of them feel like obliged to you because they said they would show up. But for many of them, it's really an inner expectation. So what you need to do is to communicate to these obligers, not, hey, I'm here for you. 
You mm. want to communicate. I'm counting on you. I'm expecting mm. you. I'm waiting for you. We can't move forward if you don't participate. If you don't participate, others won't participate. You're letting them down because they won't go walking if they think that they don't have to. So others will lose out. And that's why the people are coming to the sports. And so you have to move the accountability outward. Now, one thing that you can do, I don't know that it would work with this kind of group, but it works with some groups is to say, like I've heard this with like CrossFit, there are limited numbers. If you say mm, you're coming yes. and, and, and then another person can't come because yeah. you've taken their space. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's funny because it's the same with um, Gretchen. I've just joined this Mahjong group. Mm -hmm. These four of us are playing yes. Mahjong. Yes. And I'm like, I have got to be there because yes. you need four people. If yes. one person doesn't show up, it's canceled. Yes. So it's really true that having the thing where the event can't happen without somebody is a big impetus to an obliger to show up. Well, maybe with the walking group, you literally say, if we don't have four people, no one's going walking. Yes. Because yes. that might you might be like, well, but if even one person comes, it's worth it. It's like, no, because you, what you want is to create accountability. Yeah. So you have to have kind of that consequence that's happening. Um, and here's another thing that I've heard from obligers is sometimes it's like there needs to be consequences for the leader. Like I remember somebody mm. saying, I realized that if I didn't work on my PhD thesis, it didn't matter to my advisor. Like it didn't matter to her career whether or not I did what I needed to do. So if there's some way, I don't know how this would work in this context, but if you can sort of be like, this matters to me, like you're affecting kind of my fate or my sense of effectiveness or my certification or whatever it's doing. So that again, that's a form of like, well, I need to do this for you, even though I'm not yes. doing it for me. Again, you want to create that feeling uh, that the more you can weight it toward the outside, the more the obliger will follow through. And of course, these are all things that obligers do want to do for themselves. So it's yes. not like it's not like you're forcing them to do something kind of against their will. You're mm -hmm. just making it possible for them to follow through in a way that is really going to ultimately be to their benefit. But it's always about moving the weight of expectation to the outside. And so I think yes. this is a perfect example because you see exactly how this is affecting obligers differently. Different accountability is get, is yielding different results. So it's like a perfect test case. So good luck, Rose. Good luck with your, um, your various groups. I hope yes. people start showing up. Yes, I hope so. Now it's time for listener question. As always, uh, listener questions can go to 774-277-9336, which is 77-HAPPY-336, or email us or send us a voice memo at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And this week's question comes from our listener, Cassandra. She says, I am a total maximizer. I love research and I really can get carried away. I wanted to ask your advice on my digital hoarding habits. Being a maximizer and in the beginnings of starting my own freelance writing business and personal blog, I'm constantly bookmarking articles, signing up for this free course or that, or saving free PDFs offered up by entrepreneurs more experienced than I. As a result, I feel overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information I have yet to look at that sits in my inbox. My pocket account, my browser bookmarks, a file on my computer, and even in the saved sections on my Facebook and LinkedIn accounts. I feel like a link hoarder. 
How do I deal with this? Do I delete everything and wipe the slate clean? Do I painstakingly go through everything and force myself to make a judgment call on whether it's valuable enough to keep or if I can just delete it? How do I prevent myself from adding more? Well, first of all, Critch, it's so funny. I didn't even know you could hoard links this way. This is the first <laughs> I'm hearing of it. Um, but I bet a lot of people yes. do this. Yeah. Well, first of all, Cassandra describes herself as a maximizer versus a satisficer. I think it's useful to think about those terms. So a maximizer is somebody who wants to make the best choice to have like the best information, um, whereas satisficers just want to like have their standards met. So mm-hmm. if a, both a maximizer and a satisficer were trying to buy a bicycle, and they had certain criteria. The satisficer would buy a bicycle as soon as all the criteria would be met, whereas the maximizer would feel like, I have to know about every bike that's on the market Mm -hmm. so I can make Mm -hmm. the best possible choice. And so obviously, it's much more burdensome to be a maximizer. And interestingly, research shows they're less satisfied with their decisions. You'd think that they'd Hmm. be more satisfied because they've done more exhaustive research, but actually satisficers tend to be more satisfied like because they're like, Hmm. this is what I wanted and this is what I got. And it saves them a lot of time and energy. So that's part of what's going on here. Yeah, so what should she do? I mean, Gretchen, you are someone who collects quotes and things like that. How do you keep yourself from hoarding? Well, this is the thing. I exactly know how Cassandra feels. It really can swamp you. Um, There's so much information all the time. And if you're really interested in something, everything feels relevant. Mm. So like, I'm too scared to try Evernote. People keep telling me Evernote. I'm like, I think I would just Evernote everything. And like, it would be like this Mm -hmm. Borgesian nightmare where like everything (laughs) would be saved. Um, And now this is the way that I handle it. And maybe this would work for Cassandra. I type up notes. I will physically retype things. So if there's a quotation that I love, I have to type it into my my folder of quotations, my file of quotations. If there's uh, research that I want to remember or kind of uh, like save in some way, I have to retype it. I have all uh, the appropriate place for a bunch of different stuff and I put it in there. And what this does is, first of all, it keeps you from, I can't consume more until I've handled what I have. So I can't get too far behind in my note taking because at some point I won't let myself take in any more information mm. until I catch up. And it forces you to be very judicious because retyping something is a burden. And so I can't just like save an entire article. I have to go have the discipline to go through and be like, what is it that is important to me? So I have to process it, which I also think helps me remember it better. Because mm. the thing to remember, and Cassandra, I remember reminded myself of this so many times, saving things means nothing remembering things, processing things, being able to have things in your own mind is what matters. And so don't allow yourself to get carried away with the fun of like, click, 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 save, save, save. You have to Mm. process it. And forcing yourself to process it will keep you from hoarding it because you can't get too far in advance and you can't just save something big. It, It has to become small because um, you have to distill it. That's what works for me. I'd be, I don't know if there's other things that work for people, but I, I suffer from this and that's how I manage it. Yeah, what I would say is she shouldn't let herself save a link unless she's at least looked at it yes. and skimmed it enough to know if it's worthwhile. Yeah. Like, don't just say, oh, that headline looks like something I should read. Yeah. If it's not compelling enough to at least skim the first paragraph right now, then it, you probably don't need it. Right. So to have kind of an initial sweep before something gets saved. And then also something like signing up for a free course. It's just like have the rule for yourself. I can't sign up for yeah. another free course until I've taken the first free course. Like, yeah. don't get yourself so far ahead. 
Um, you know what this reminds me of, Elizabeth, is like when people want to buy like knitting supplies or something. Like there's the mm, fun yes. of buying the stuff. But at a certain point, if you have too much that you haven't made use of, it kind of starts weighing on your conscience or weighing on your mind or le- mm-hmm. at least crowding up your shelves. You have to have some way of saying, I'm not going to acquire more until I use at least part of what I have. That's a good rule. I think people have a hard time following through, but it, it's a good it, it's a good rule to have. So good luck, Cassandra. I feel your pain. Mm-hmm. I know that feeling of the infinite save. Um, <laughs> it's enticing, but then it, it can get dark. <laughs> Coming up, I give myself a predictable happiness to merit. But first, this break. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Okay, Elizabeth, it's episode 194, an even number episode, and that means it's your turn for demerit. What is this predictable demerit? Yes, Gretchen, it has to do with my messiness. You know, I'm not the neatest person. We've discussed it. It's one of the big points of contention in my marriage. Um, Adam's neat. I'm messy. We fight about it. Adam's late. You're on time. You fight about it. Yes, that's our other thing. Those are the two things. Yes. (laughs) But this is about my closet. So you you might remember in my renovation, we had our closets done and like built out very nicely. I had it all organized and I have allowed my closet to fall apart yet again. Um, And I think I've actually given myself this demerit before. But I've gone from my nice neat closet to the entire floor is covered with clothes, shoes, uh, kimonos now yeah. that I'm you know collecting my kimonos yeah it is just bad and every like weekend I say to Adam oh I'm or no actually it's during the week I say oh I'm gonna clean this up this weekend and then uh-huh. now like three or four weekends have gone by and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse and I have just been overwhelmed with it and I have not tackled the closet. And now we don't have doors on our closet, so I can't even shut the door. Well, can I just say that that occurred to me at the time of your renovation? Like, (laughs) why didn't you just have a door? Because the thing is, it really bothers you and it bothers Adam. Like the door, it would still bother you, but then it wouldn't bother Adam. Um, But it is bothering you, right? Well, it's bothering me really because I know it bothers him. I actually don't care. Oh, okay. But I know that it bothers him. And so that I feel like I'm just being a horrible wife because I know it really bothers him. And I feel like because he knows how busy I am and how hard I'm working, he's really making an effort to not comment on it. Yeah. So I feel guilty (laughs) that he's like suffering in silence. How I wish I could just drive over to your house. That is like literally my favorite thing to do is clean your closet. (laughs) I know. 
Um, you know, well, you're under. I don't know you've what got to say. so much going on. It's hard. Yeah, this is this has been our hell month. Sarah and I talked about it on Happier in Hollywood. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it'll be. Maybe I should reframe it as when our hell month is over at work, it'll be a celebration. Yes. To be able to get my closet there back you in go. order, it'll be some <laughs> me time. I'll listen to a podcast. Yeah. And I'll clean up my closet and be happy that um, I have a little bit of downtime. Yeah. Maybe that'll work. That's a great reframing. There you go. There I you will go. try. Okay, Gretch, what is your gold star this week? Well, we always love to give gold stars to other podcasts, and I have a great podcast to give a gold star to. Um, it is a podcast called But That's Another Story. Um, now, full disclosure, the host of it, Will Schwalbe, is a friend of mine. He's in one of my three children's literature reading groups, mm. and so I knew about it because I knew Will was doing this podcast. I love it. So what he does is he has notable guests come on to talk about books that have changed them, that were the most meaningful mm. to them. And it's one of these great things where if you really love to read the way I do, you're always looking for great new reading suggestions and things that are kind of like off the beaten path that you might not have uh, thought of. And so these are really interesting conversations that then make me, uh, give me great ideas for reading. So like I read Christy Coulter's book, um, Nothing Good Can Come From This because of a conversation I heard on the podcast. I pulled out um, Lori Moore's Who Will Save the Frog Hospital off my shelf. I read it years ago when it first came out. And now I I'm like, I don't remember a thing about that book. I want to reread mm. it. Um, one of my favorite episodes was an interview with Kevin Kwan, um, who's well known for having written Crazy Rich Asians. And he was talking about Joan Didion, who's one of my favorite writers. Mm. And so it's just a great podcast if you want to listen to a thoughtful conversation that then gives you a lot of great ideas for reading. So again, it's uh, oh, but that's another story. Well, that's what I can listen to when I clean my closet. Yeah, and at the beginning, he always tells like a little book-related anecdote from his own life that's just super charming. Like it's a very calming mm. kind of. Uh, it just you. I think you would really, really enjoy it. Can't wait! I'm always looking for a new podcast. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Make an introduction. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Cameron Drews. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like this show, as always, please be sure to tell a friend. Show them how to listen to a podcast if they don't mm. already know. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. The resources for this week. Um, are you looking for a funny gift for you or a friend? Remember that we have our tendency mugs. Yes, you can have mm. a mug that proudly displays <laughs> your tendency, your motto, or you can get one for a friend. Um, I will put a link to that in the show notes, or you can always just go to GretchenRubin.com shop, and they are there. And also, if you are reading uh, The Happiness Project in a book group or a spirituality group or a work group or a group like that, um, I have book club guides, um, discussion guides on my site. So you can go to GretchenRubin.com slash resources or just let me know that you would like to get it. Um, I think, you know, now that the 10th anniversary edition is out, it, um, I just wanted to make sure that people knew um, about that resource. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward.
so Elizabeth, I saw Andy the other day, and I have given him a nickname, our beloved Andy Bowers. Guess what my um, nickname is? I have no idea. What is it? The Wizard of Pods. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical.